Hello and welcome to the Behind the Wheel podcast, the culmination and brainchild of my own love for cars, but also my own desire and absolute passion and mission to really ensure that nobody ever goes through what I went through a couple of years ago, which was having a terrible job, having really poor mental health, um, being really bad shape and really living for the weekends, to be honest. And this podcast is designed to bring those people who have managed to build a career and a life around what they love doing and try to bring them onto the podcast to share their wisdom, their thoughts, their ideas and their suggestions for those people who are perhaps in that place right now or for those young people who are struggling to find what they've got a passion for and an interest for. So this particular podcast interview is with a man who I actually bumped into on social media um, a while ago now and he's actually a race car driver who has recently won an award uh, for best driver of the year Um, and he's someone that I've got to know really well and I absolutely can't wait for you guys to to, to listen to his interview and really understand where he's coming from. A man who was homeless um, didn't do so well at school, really had a tough life growing up and uh, he's now not only managed to build a successful, very successful business, um, but also now races cars for his day-to-day work, uh, which is just amazing. So um, stay tuned and hope you like what he has to say. Thank you. Picked up the pipe and I always had this thing, I cannot leave beer. If it's there, I don't, it, it could be two days old. I gotta drink it if it's mine. And I got I went through half of it and I just set the balls up and I put the beer down and I just said, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I've got to go. And he was he was gobsmacked. Where are you going? He said, I've just got to go. I actually had no idea what I wanted to do, but that was the lowest point, having no to it. Don't worry, it'll come along. It will happen, and it'll it'll do that. But be ready for it when it happens. Grab it with both hands yeah. and throw yourself at it a hundred percent. Oh God, there's so. And don't let it go. Don't let it go. Keep going. This is my first, maybe even second, face-to-face podcast interview. Everything else has been virtual, so I'm so excited to be here. We are here at Brands Hatch. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I am so so excited to have you. It's I've, been a I've while. I've got to say, with the weight loss, you've now got a race and driver's body. Ah, oh, thank you very much. Thank the you. <laughs> you would you work perfectly in the car now. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you, um, Ashley. I ask every guest this first question, and it's always the hardest question from my experience. What does Ashley's dream five car garage look like? <clears throat> a McLaren MSO HS. Tick. Ferrari F12, everyone's got to have a V12. Absolutely. Before they go extinct. Uh, yep. Yeah. I've got something else coming, which I'm not going to talk about. Koenigsegg, Regera, I would like one of those at some point. Yeah. And the fifth one, not quite sure. That's yet to... Um, yet to be determined, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Something will, will attract me. Yeah. I quite yeah. fancy a Lotus, actually. Really? I've got one as a race car. Yeah, um, a less one, but I, I love lotuses. I love the Amira looks pretty good. The the new Amira yeah. looks yeah. phenomenal. I quite like something like that, but I don't quite think it's done it for me yet. Yeah, see, yeah. So what I really like, and I've driven one. I took it for a test drive. Um, the Yaris GR. What a machine! Really, that is. absolutely. On it, it's so much fun, so much grip. And when I test drove it, I thought, this feels like... I used to have a Renault Clio Cup race car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it just reminded me of that. Even though it's all-wheel drive, yeah. you, can, you can change it from um, understeer to oversteer. It's such a clever piece of trickery. You can change that? Yeah, there's a button. That you is can incredible. Say, I want more power at the front, or I want more power from the rear. On a Yaris? Oh, yeah. my God. It's the GR Yaris. Yeah. An amazing piece of kit. If you haven't ordered one, guys get one ordered fortunately I'm not allowed to have one we don't have the garage space at the moment <laughs> at the moment at the moment actually I want to um, we will definitely come back to the racing but I want to I want to kind of rewind back uh, to your life before racing if you don't mind mm-hmm. um, and just talk us through kind of your early upbringing your youth uh, where you grew up uh, kind of a brief overview of your kind of early life if you like 
Oh, this could be long. <laughs> uh, I went to boarding school. I did the usual primary school, all that, all that stuff, and then um, ended up in boarding school for. Um, I, my parents were both head teachers. They divorced. I ended up living with my my mother, um, and she decided she wanted me to go to boarding school. And I took the entrance exam. So everybody has to take an entrance exam to get into yeah. boarding school. Uh, and the, uh, the headmaster said, well, we're going to give him a point for spelling his name right, but unfortunately he even spelled that incorrectly. And I was 13 years old and I couldn't really read and write. And he said, if anything is going to show what, what this institution can do for, for people, then we think this is for him. So we are actually going to take him on. Um, and, yeah, that was a long time ago. Um, I passed my English exam after three years. Um, I was down a form. Um, so I, I, I think I entered in the third form. Yeah, third form. And when I was 16, in the fifth form, I said, I'm out. I hate being told what to do. I hate being given instructions by anybody. Um, and I didn't like school at all. I never liked it. Because there's always somebody there telling you what to do. Um, <clears throat> and I think my parents thought at the time that that's it, it's a loss and I left school first job silk screen printing, mirrors wasn't particularly good at that um, then I got into retail um, and I was working for Morrison's, they used to have a, a branch called Lifestyle which sold all home goods um, and the manager of that shop knew me and said, come and work for me, because he could see that I wasn't happy with what I was doing. I know, in fact, my first job was an apprentice upholsterer. Oh, right, OK. Uh, and I hated it. Hated every second of it. Boring job in a factory, and all I was doing was, was making cushions and stools yeah. um, as an apprentice, and they were going to build me up into doing complete suites. Didn't happen. <clears throat> I left there very quickly. Um, but then I got into retail um, and it turns out I was pretty good at selling and I got approached by Topman and they asked me to go and work for them and I went to work for them uh, I can't remember how many years I worked for them and then I found alcohol and started drinking a lot I'm not an alcoholic but I every opportunity just to have fun because I always like to have fun and laugh a lot and I thought alcohol was the way to um, to do that. Yeah. Um, and that was it. I don't remember an awful lot from those years all the way through till um, I ended up working for the Yorkshire Evening Post selling classified advertising. And all I was really doing was going in on the morning to earn money so I could go and get drunk on the night wow. and go out with my mates and go to nightclubs. Um, I used to go to a place called The Warehouse on a, on a Sunday night because they were open. And I sometimes go straight from there to work. Wow. Yeah. Um, so alcohol is not the answer, guys. Without a shadow of a doubt. So the memories, not many of them. Yeah. I had some good memories. I had some very good times. Yeah. Um, but there were times that I just woke up in the morning. It's like, what did I do last night? Have I made a fool wow. of myself? Have I done this? Have I done that? It wasn't good. Was it uh, was it like an, a, a bit of a escape for you? Is that is that what it was? I didn't have a life. I didn't have anything. I didn't really have any ambition. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I'd left school early. Was that the right thing? Don't know. We had careers in there. What do you want to be? Didn't want to be a fireman. Didn't want to be a policeman. I actually had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, technology wasn't about then. Uh, um, so that wasn't an avenue for me. And I wasn't particularly good at. Um, <laughs> I wasn't particularly good at um, anything academic. My maths was terrible. My father uh, wrote a maths book, <laughs> and I can't have two and two together. Um, and, and I said two head teachers, very intelligent people, and there's me, the youngest of three, with nowhere to go. Um, so yeah, it was. It wasn't a hard time. It was just. It was hard playing, earning money to go and play. Yeah. 
and always looking at other people saying I want to be a millionaire and didn't do anything about it like everybody like a lot of people yeah that's what I want and a lot of people think it's a right to to get to that position um, entitlement an entitlement people think they're entitled to a lot of things nowadays and actually no you've got to go out there and earn it and I wasn't doing it I wasn't earning it we'll come on to that how will, that, yeah. how that how that actually happened yeah but yeah, I always definitely. said my father once asked me I was only young he said what do you want to be when you when you grow up and I said a millionaire and he smiled and he, and he thought I just think you can do it you should have seen how depressed he was <laughs> all those years um, when things weren't happening um, what was what was what was kind of what was going through your mind um, in those early in, in, in nothing those, what, it, it was just, blank it was just yeah. it was a blank mind yeah it yeah. was actually a blank canvas it was waiting for something to happen yeah and I always thought something I would I would come across something something would happen but I never knew what I, what that was yeah. that there's going to be yeah. a turning point where my mind will switch on yeah I, I had to wait a long time and it did yeah um, but yeah it was just blank living from day to day yeah. that's all I did yeah I actually lived from getting up in the morning going to work to go to the park to, to go to the pub with my mates so we yeah. could laugh and all I ever wanted to do was laugh so people never really thought I was serious and I wasn't absolutely no <clears throat> there was nothing serious about me in any way shape or form no politics no religion no real discussion let's get some jokes going and that's really all it was were you were you conscious of how people were were, were viewing you or may have been viewing you was it was it always on your mind that you were being that you might have been being, were you kind of I suppose aware of of of, of how you might have been being perceived at that time no no, not really. I think I was known as the life of the party. But I'm also, I had the short person syndrome. So sometimes I'd go a bit mad and end up... Uh, a few... Um, I can't really call them fights. But looking for trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually used to go out and look for trouble and then see if I could calm it down. <laughs> and nine times out of ten it worked but the one time out of ten when it didn't work it used to hurt a lot yeah, um, yeah. I don't have that anymore that wish yeah. Yeah, that's gone yeah. Um, yeah but yeah I did have that that's amazing um, and then I, I know from my own personal experience um, to, to to get to get to where you want to be in life you have to hit it sounds awful but you have to hit rock bottom and for me when I look back at my um, my journey so far, that rock bottom was hating my job, just hating every single minute of it, and using food and sleep to escape from my reality. Yeah. And um, would you just would you describe that phase of your life as as perhaps kind of being at the lowest point? If you like, no. of, of my lowest point was <clears throat> I moved in to a flat with somebody who I didn't really want to move in with. And it was a bit of... A, it was an escape. Um, and I remember waking up the next morning thinking, I really don't want to be here. And then that, the next night... I'd, I was only there two days. The next night, there was a party across the road. We went to the party and got absolutely smashed. And I came out of there and thought, this is not really where I want to be. And we had an argument. She said, out. That's it. And it's in the days when they had lockers in railway stations. I had 50p in my pocket. That's wow. all I had. And wow. I walked all the way to Leeds. I was working the next day. I walked all the way to Leeds, found the railway station, went in there, went to the lockers, used my last 50p, put my clothes in there, all the belongings that I had. Put my head down on the, on the bench and, st and tried to go to sleep. And the security came around and said, you can't sleep here. And I said, I'm just waiting for the train for London in the morning. And they said, OK, you can stay there. You lied, basically. Yeah. yeah. And I woke up the next day, couldn't shave, couldn't wash, and went into work. And I thought, how on earth have I ended up here, homeless? Yeah. 
Just just to be clear, yeah. So you you actually had no home. You no. were completely homeless. I had nowhere to live. For the goosebumps on my arm, that's just yeah. incredible. I mean, and I said, "You've got to pull yourself together." I didn't really. I met somebody who said, "You can come and stay at my place tonight." Um, I did that. We got together, um, and we got a flat together. And we had to use her wage as well as my wage to be able to do that. Um, that still wasn't the start of the up, because I was still going out, having fun, drinking. Um, or thought I was. But it was it, it was a little bit of an up, but that was the lowest point, having nowhere to live. Wow. Wow. I remember phoning my auntie up saying, can I come and stay at your place? And she said no. Wow. Because I think she knew, uh, we called her auntie, but she was a member of the family, uh, or a friend of the family, and we always knew her as auntie. Uh-huh. And she said, no, you can't. But I think it, everybody in the family knew what I was, what I was doing. When you, when you think about this sort of stuff now, if you ever do think about it, when you reflect on that experience... I always think about it. Yeah. I never want to go back there. The scariest thing is when you've... When you actually do begin to make it, it makes me more determined because I don't ever want to be back there and I'm always yeah. looking for risk I'm always looking for that but I'm also looking sometimes I avoid risk but most of the time I go where the risk is because it's where somebody else isn't going to go and if they're not willing to go there and I uh, then and I know there's a need for whatever it is that, I th- that I'm thinking at the time it's I know it's going to be a risk but actually no one else is willing to take that risk. I am. So I'll take that risk. Because I don't want to be... You don't want to be where I don't want to be back there. Ever. And, and that's a big thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's always at the back of my mind. Is yeah. I remember this. I've been there. I've done it. I see people... You know, you see the people asking for money. You see the drunks. That's what, My wife Shirley says, that's where you were going to be. If, you hadn't, if I hadn't have met her... And that's, a, that's guaranteed. I might probably st- not be alive today. I would have been one of those guys. Feeling sorry for myself, thinking, what if? If only. Yeah. It's a big motivator. A big motivator. It's huge. I mean, um, she's so powerful. Um, so what, what was it, um, that I suppose, um, she kind of somehow instilled in you I suppose um, began to bring you up or, or, or began to kind of move you in the right direction so I was working with Yorkshire Post classified still doing the, the same old thing earning as much money as I could selling well I was one of the top salespeople there selling just a blank piece of paper uh, or uh, box and then convincing somebody to put some words in that I sometimes making the words up myself and yeah it was a great job I absolutely loved it because when you and when it was a success when you get a client that would ring you back and say the advertisement worked thank you for that absolutely amazing um, and then still going out and doing the usual thing and I used to get told off more often than not for coming in scruffy and we know you've been out drinking last night but they couldn't sack me because I was doing really well yeah yeah um the proper change came. I was I was unemployed before the Yorkshire Post, and my dad had a Ford Capri, and he said he came to see me and gave me 175 pounds, and he said I had two choices. I was either going to give you the car or give you the money, and I thought the best thing to do was to give you money. So here's the money. What I want you to do is to go to Leeds and buy a suit, shirt, tie, shoes and get a job and I was living in a house without electricity or gas because I couldn't afford to pay it and I was going to get thrown out of it because I wasn't paying the rent so I knew that was coming and that was going to be another one of those I'm homeless again so you were close to hitting that point again yeah yeah, I was there again wow Um, and I got all the letters all stacking up the bills wow I remember coming home one night finding all the power out Uh, uh, um, I had no responsibility. You know. 
Uh. I kind of did, but I didn't think I did. And I remember going straight to the pub with 175 quid and started drinking beer. Wow. And then this guy said, do you want to go and play snooker? And I said, well, I haven't played that for years. Yeah. Well, there's a place in Leeds. And we went to Leeds, got to the bar, ordered a pint for me and him. I paid for it. And I got the 175 quid out, or what was left of it from the beer that we drunk up there. Paid for the beer, put it back in my pocket, picked up the pint. And I always had this thing, I cannot leave beer. If it's there, I don't. If it could be two days old. I've got to drink it, if it's mine. And I got. I went through half of it, and we just set the balls up, and I put the beer down, and I just said, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I've got to go. And he was he was gobsmacked. Where are you going? I've just got to go. What was it? What was it that my dad was in my head saying, "Here's the money to go and buy a suit, and I'm spending it on beer, and spending it on somebody else." And I went straight to Top Man, bought a suit, shirt, tight, bought everything. Yeah. Um, I think it was a Thursday as well. Bought the Yorkshire Post paper. There was the job advertised. Went to and went for the interview and got it. So the turn was my dad, because if I hadn't have done that and got that job, I would never have met Shirley. Yeah. yeah. And I met Shirley through selling advertising space. And, um, yeah, that was that was the start of it. So dad made the difference. Go and buy a suit. Bought the suit, got the job. And now, I, and now we start to... I, I started to move up a little bit. Wow. I mean... Do you ever look back and think if your dad didn't give you that money, what yeah. might have happened? Yeah. Yeah. Big moment. Life changing. It changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I wouldn't be here today, I don't think, if it hadn't been for that. Because the rest of it, the fate, meeting Shell, that wouldn't have happened. It just wouldn't have happened. Wow. Um, so, you've now got the job. You've got your fancy suit. Yeah. Shoes. The works. Still going out getting drunk. Okay. Okay. So that 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 part of your life is still very much there. Back, yeah. Back back then. Um, talk us through kind of um, that sort of journey from from there to I suppose the next sort of chapter of your life. I always had ambition of starting my own business. That's what I always wanted to do. And that's, you know, people said to me, what do you want to do? I said, I want to start my own business. And the question was, well, what, what business? Is that, is that what was stopping you? Like just just not know. having any clarity of what you I didn't know what about. I wanted to do. And it's like, well, I don't know. And then I got, because I was in advertising, I had an idea of creating a magazine and selling advertising space in that. So we started talking about it. And I went out and met this guy and he said, yeah, yeah, I can do that with you. We went off talking to people and they said, well, why don't you do it free? So do a sell, sell, we were going to sell it, and they said, no, you give it away, and we'll advertise in it. We may think about advertising this. That's a good idea. So it was a great idea, but I didn't have printers set up. I didn't yeah. have any of that. So we didn't really have a plan. There was no plan. So that died a death. But that's because I was in advertising. Um, and then I met Shirley, because I was trying to sell to, um, um, sell to her. She worked for uh, an agency, the sale didn't come off. Um, and I remember saying to her, if you can get this sale for me, I'll buy you a double Bacardi and Coke. And that was my way of saying, I won't actually mind, mind meeting you. And I remember putting the phone down. <coughs> well, actually, click, because we had headsets on. I remember doing that, and my mate, a really good mate, Gal, who I haven't seen for years. So, Gal, get in touch. Um, be great to see you again. Um so he and I were always in competition with each other. And I just turned around to him and said, I've just met my future wife. I've just spoke to my future wife. Straight away. You said that? Yep. And he looked at me and said, you're serious, aren't you? I said, yep. She didn't get me the sale. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, and she phoned me up to tell me that she'd not got the sale. And I said, OK. She said, suppose the double Picardy and Coke's out of the question. And I said, yeah, it is, without a doubt. I'll just buy you a single. <laughs> Where do you want to meet? Um, Closed it there and then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where do you want to meet? 
Um, eventually we did meet up. I'm not going to go through that because that's yeah. another story in itself. Yeah. Uh, blind date that failed on the first night because we missed <laughs> each other. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> and I said, well, you didn't... And I, and I picked up the phone the next day and said, I don't normally do this if I'm being stood up. I've been stood up. And she said, you weren't stood up. I said, yes, I was. She said, it was <laughs> raining. I said, yeah, it was raining, but it was raining all over Leeds. And she said, there were two Buddhist monks stood at the top, one with an umbrella up. Oh, flipping heck, there was. So she turned up. I said, well, why didn't you come in? She said, I don't, I don't walk into pubs on my own. OK, how about tomorrow night? And all my mates were there that night. And if she'd have met me with all my mates, she would never have seen me again. So we ended up meeting each other on our own, and that was it. Um, yeah, so moving on from there, <clears throat> we, we, I came up with another business idea. Um, which was creating a web page, and the web it it wasn't it didn't exist in those days. Was it that? Uh, it was to do with advertising cars, selling cars, and saying well, if we do it this way. Surely that's got to be better than doing it this way. And then me and Gal started talking about it. Anyway, it it didn't work out. We didn't go ahead with it. But you were still working at the Yorkshire Post. Yeah. And I got to the point where I'd gone as far in there as I could. I then moved up into run of paper, which was selling front, um, the front of the paper and inside the paper, not in the classified side. And I kept thinking, well, this is serious. I've got to do something. So I got myself another job, which was selling mobile phones for a, a company called Cartel. And that was a nightmare. And I immediately started looking for another job. Um as soon as I got in there within a week and I, I I went for a job with Thompson Local do you remember that? The travel no Thompson Local was like the yellow pages the competition oh, the yellow right, pages okay. Okay. and I also got an interview uh, an IT distributor computer distributor right okay and that's where it turned that's not like quite a big turning point I mean yeah uh... didn't know anything about computers didn't really have a clue about IT if I can just clarify, so um, you you had ambitions to start your own business from a young age, um, yeah. but it was the it was the lack of clarity over what you wanted to do business in or what you had. A, I had no qualifications. I could yeah. I, obviously I could speak and write English because I passed that as an O level, and that was the only O level that that I got, and I did that in three years, from not being able to read and write through till sixteen, passing the O level. It wasn't a brilliant grade, but it was a grade. It was a pass, and that's what it was classed as. Great. Um, so I can now read and write. Brilliant. Um, but what, what do you do? I could open a shop. I thought about that. I could sell clothes, because I've been doing that. I could sell shoes. I've been doing that. But everybody else is doing that. I want to do something different. And yeah. I had no idea what that was. Yeah. No idea. Um went to work for Cartel after selling advertising but I thought about I could start my own magazine or I could start and it was yeah but everyone else is doing that so is it going to work um, probably will I make my millions out of it probably not but that was still going on in your mind the idea of earning your million pounds you, yes you, that was, that was, that was yeah. always in the back of your mind yeah yeah, yeah. my first girlfriend finish with me and she said I want to marry a millionaire and that's why she finished with me you're never going to be a millionaire Claire if you're watching um, it was I, I, I had no idea what to look for I had no I'd done nothing academic was it also like a lack of confidence in yourself as well no I always had confidence I always knew I could win <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could sell anything to anybody. Yeah. yeah. Didn't matter what it was. Yeah. Um, I could sell. That was the easy thing. But was, what was, was I going to sell? It was the what. Yeah. What was I going to sell? Yeah. Um, and I got the job in the IT distributor in Bradford, and I and I just said, "Wow, I've never done this before." I got offered the Thompson local job, and I got offered this one. And I said, "Do you know what? I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take it. Best move I ever made." And I started selling Amstrad PCs to resellers. 
Alan Sugar's uh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we were an Amstrad distributor, a Philips distributor for monitors. BBC Master, do you remember those? And Acorn PCs. I remember Acorn. For education. Yeah. Yeah, so we were selling those. And I got into um, something called ICL, International Computers Limited. They took that on as a franchise and they had nobody to run it and they gave it to me. And they gave me a, a modem and a screen which put me into ICL's technical part. I'd already bought a computer. I'd, I'd killed it. Um, as soon as I got it didn't know what I'd done found this guy who could fix it he came and fixed it and he had to reformat and they gave me this modem before broadband and I was in onto their mainframe and I was selling this high end equipment where a normal PC would cost two in those days it was very expensive for a PC you know £1,500 to £2,000 wow. the equivalent of an ICL machine was four and a half to £5,000 but they did exactly the same thing, but the government, local government, was buying them. And it was specialist equipment. They had these Unix boxes, which were £150,000, £200,000, quarter of a million pounds, half a million pounds. It's like, wow, this is completely different. Very technical. And I yeah. started digging into it. Um, I'd mentioned that I'd broken a computer, and this guy came in, and he reformatted it. Um, and it was, it was using MS-DOS. What, what's that? I've no idea. And those days, it was just as Windows was coming out. And I, and I remember he said, I'll give you a 20-minute lesson. And I watched him on it, and I remembered everything that he typed in. Why is that? Is I don't know. I remembered everything, the whole lot. So I killed it again. So I'm going to kill the computer. No, don't. I am. Killed it, and I rebuilt it. Wow. In the 20 minutes that it took him. And then I went out to W.H. Smith's and bought a book, which was that thick, and it was, it's, it was called MS-DOS Bible. Yeah. I read it from front to back. Started writing my own batch files. And it was like, where have I been? I've, I think I've found my niche. This is it. I've got it. I've done it. From nothing, no, no knowledge whatsoever about IT, in any way, shape, or form, yeah. to suddenly be able to rebuild a, a computer. And then that helped me in selling them. Um, and I got into this franchise with ICL, uh, yeah. selling those to resellers, which put me into a higher echelon of resellers. Um, and uh, the stuff I learned, I said, when I stop learning here, that's the time to move on. And I got to the point after, I think, three or four years, I stopped learning. I remember asking them, I want to become a technician. They said, no, you're a salesperson. If you become technical... You'll get um, you'll get tied up with it, and you won't be able to sell. And I said, I disagree. If I get technical, then I can technically sell, and that's the kind of people that we're selling to, and they wouldn't let me do it. Um, so I left and went to work for an outfit in Manchester, Altrium, a company called MNH Procom, and I'd been there for six months, and they wanted me there to sell the ICL. It was only a three-person company. Wow. But they'd been going for years. Um, and they were one of my clients, and they were very successful, only with those three people. Two of them selling, and one of them doing admin work, and he was only part-time. And she was desperate, because there was one of my clients, for me to go and work for them. So I did. And after six months, she threatened me with the sack, and said, if you don't sell something, we're going to have to sack you, because you're costing us money. What she didn't realise was that I was working on the big stuff. And you don't just pick up the phone and say, do you want to buy a £150,000 computer? You have to configure it. There's a lot of work that, that was involved in it. Configure it, get the right interfaces. And they're obviously selling to their end user. So if they didn't get the sale, I didn't get the sale. Um, sorry, we were, now I'm selling to, to the end user. If they didn't get the budget, we didn't get the sale. But I was working on upgrades, and, up, uh, and I, I became a specialist at upgrading in specific DRS6000s, they were called, um, Unix boxes. So I knew them inside out. I knew the components that, that were needed. I knew if I had to call ICL out to go and do some updates on them so that these boards would fit in and work. And it was lunchtime. She said, we're going off for lunch. Think about that. Let me know your answer when I get back. 
So she, as soon as she walked out the door, I picked up the phone and rang my best client that I'd had and said, I want to start my own business, will you back me? He said, do a business plan, come down, I'll back you. That's what I did. Just, I, what, I'm, what I'm just, I keep thinking about is someone who was who was homeless and now when you speak about IT you sound so technically knowledgeable about the stuff you were selling and it it just two different almost two two different people completely yeah. um, it, was a passion. it became a passion a bit like racing cars it became a passion I loved IT yeah. I loved learning things that nobody else learned I loved knowing things that nobody else knew. Yeah. I loved being able to figure out the answer to something yeah. that nobody else could figure out the answer to. Um, and that that was me when people would phone me up and ask me advice, and I could tell I, I could give them honest, genuine, ethical advice and do an upsell. The upsell was required. It's not something that I wanted to do just to get um, just to get a sale. It had to be for me, it had to be ethical, it had to be the right thing. Yeah. And they were getting advice from all over the place, and then when I would talk to them and say, well, lastly, you need to do a display, because if you don't, this is, probably, this is what will happen. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, I get the deal. So getting technical for me helped. Yeah. In terms of your kind of, um, the days of drinking, going out, was that was that still part gone. of your kind of, that was gone? That was gone. Why, why had it gone? What was the... I had a purpose. Yeah. I'd got my purpose. I used to go on holiday when we had the business and take technical reference manuals with me. Wow. And instead of being at the bar drinking, I'd sit and read. Complete U-turn then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Just, just reflecting on that experience of finding finally something which you absolutely loved and adored and had this U-turn in your life, just what, what was it, do you think... Um, enabled you to find that because it, it sounds like you were just trying rightfully different things until finally you stumbled upon something which as just soon as really I brought the computer and this guy came in I that said, was I'll the moment 20, I'll give you 20 minutes of my time normally I charge for it yeah. but I'm not going to charge you because he used to buy mobile phones yeah. from me and I'd, I'd, I'd been offered the job and I said well if I'm going to take this job I need to get a computer yeah. we, went, we actually bought it on credit yeah. Um, yeah. And that was it. And when I saw what he'd done, and I thought I could remember every keystroke that he did. Yeah, yeah. And then I get the book out, and what does that keystroke? What does that yeah. command do? And I'd read. Oh, right, get it. Because get, get it. Because so far, it's, you know, you've 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 found you've found this amazing area that you've got a passion for and an interest in. You've now got to a place where you've become the best, or extremely knowledgeable. In this particular area. Just in one area. Just in that in the, one just very specialist niche yeah. area, yeah. I mean, you know, you're at the top of your game in terms of that knowing inside out, um, which has now opened up doors that I suppose you were not were not open to you before. Is that is, is that right? No, yeah, it did with clients. Um, so customers trusted me. They knew they were going to get the right advice and guidance from me, and that's how you get clients to keep coming back to you. Yeah. I'm thinking of doing this what would you do Ash I'd do this there's that and the other brilliant okay here's the order you get the order supply done I think you know, people forget that even in a, in a in a B2B world people buy from people ultimately right? yes and yeah and my aim because I could sell so I knew people were buying from me if I could become technical they'd still buy from me but they'd come to me for advice exactly and yeah. it's like well where's the best place to go do I go to a Ford dealer to get my car fully serviced there and get all the error messages taken off and they know exactly what they're doing? Or do I go to the, to the back street guy down there that will just tinker about and, yeah, okay, the brakes feel a bit better than they did before, but, yeah, and five years later the car breaks down and it's dead. And you keep taking it back to the Ford dealer, five years later that car will still be working in five years' time. And go to the right place. So you have to know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and, and in things like IT, if you make a mistake, it's very expensive to the client. Yeah. So you can't do it. You can't make a mistake. And they're not going to come back to you. And it's like any other business, it's incestuous. They all move around in the same circles. And the circles that you're selling to are the circles that they're going to move around in. Make a mistake with him here, 
or her. That'd be like a ripple effect. Uh, well, it will do, yeah, because when they... And these people tend to move up and up and up and up. When you want to get into the the, the, the top end of, of the client base, finance, whatever, you suddenly find that the guy that you, that, that you let down years mm. before is now at the top there. How do you convince them to come back to you? And it works both ways. Like if, you, if, you, if you get it right with those guys... They'll call you from there and, say, you, yeah. you, and suddenly you, be, you begin yeah. to move your business yeah. Yeah. up to, to that higher level. Yeah. Well, let's go on to entrepreneurship now. Um, I mean, you know, you've... Um, tell us a little bit about the, the start of, I guess, your step towards setting up your own, your own business. Um... <clears throat> That started with M&H offering to sack me and or threatening to sack me. And I thought, I've got a mortgage, I've just bought two new cars, I'm having to travel from where I lived all the way through to Altrincham, which was an hour to an hour and a half every day. Yeah. Um, and I bought the car specifically to do that. Um, I thought, I can't be at the mercy of somebody else. I've got to start my own business. Did it ever occur to you at that point that and it happens to people to people now, which is, I've got a safe job, I've got nine to five. It wasn't a safe job. I've been offered the sack. But even if like, even if you might have like, did did did, did it ever like sort of occur to you that maybe it's better to look for another job as opposed to? No. Going I knew there and then that she hadn't actually understood what I was doing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that all the work that I'd done on that six months was on quite a lot of clients that were going to spend big. And I'd sold maybe one or two printers in the six months, but I was working on the big stuff, and I knew there and then that this was going to happen, that the, the business was going to come in big. Yeah. So that, that, that was obvious to me, because I knew all the work I'd done was going to come to fruition. You had that kind of reassurance. Then. I knew it. So I spoke to Keith, who was the guy that backed me, and, he, and we went down with the business plan, showed the business plan. He said, yes, when do you want to start? Monday. And I said, no. We'll start in January, which is in six months' time. He went, what? You don't want to start now? I said, no. I've got a load of deals coming in. I want to prove to you and to me that this is actually going to happen. And when that happens, I'll feel confident that when we start on January the 9th, and that was the date that we set, when we start on January the 9th, I know I can do it. And the business plan basically stated that we were going to lose money in the first 18 months because I had to get a wage. But I was doing it from the back bedroom. Did that deadline also drive you as well having no. that kind of no it didn't drive me I was already driven uh, yeah. um, and that first month after the, after the warning the business came in and she said oh I knew that talk would work and it's like you have no idea I knew that order was coming in but I wasn't going to tell you uh, just in case it didn't uh, um, and I knew it was coming I smashed it I absolutely I, I, I more than I think I quadrupled what they were expecting me to bring in in that six months. Wow. And they couldn't believe it. And when I handed my notice in, it's like, why are you leaving? I didn't say. Well, I didn't say it's because you, you threatened to sack me, but that is exactly why I did it. That was why, yeah. And I knew that when January came, that I could sell. I set the office up, had the phone at the desk, um, picked up the phone, nine o'clock on the Monday morning, made my first sale by 11 o'clock and that first month we made a profit so even we, though you planned to just that for the first we 18 planned months the first yeah. 18 months we made a profit every single month wow we, ne- we didn't actually ever go into loss did you ever. find that entrepreneurship for you and having your own business suddenly meant you were kind of free from I suppose the shackles if you like of being told what to do and being able to run things the way you wanted to do that never really crossed it. my mind because it, it was I would work till 7, 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock, whatever it took. Yeah. It was just um, a passion. I loved it. I loved the IT side of it. And at the time, I was just selling hardware, nothing else. Yeah. Um, and that year, the same year, about six months running it, um, I got a phone call from Keith saying, come down to such and such a place. Milton Keynes, I think it was. There's a course by Compaq on Ethernet switches, which is networking. And I went on it, and I went through all this technical stuff, and I got home and said to Shell, networking, that's where it's going to be. Everyone's doing hubs. This thing does something completely different. I've got to understand networking. From that moment on, 
I started, I taught myself networking. And I then began to start getting my fingers dirty, installing that kind of stuff. It was brilliant. Now I'm going from selling it to installing it and to understanding it, making mistakes like we all do, uh, putting those mistakes right. But nobody else was doing it. Nobody else was getting into networking like I was from the very beginning. And I was reading every manual book that you could possibly find. We didn't really have internet back then. So the, the pages weren't there for us to, I've got this problem, go on and Google it. Nobody had done it. How would you, how would you describe your approach to risk-taking um, when you first started up working in business? Calculated, because I always had the ba- in the back, I was doing the hardware. Yeah. So as, we start moving, as I started moving it to technical, I still had the hardware there. Um, so it was a risk to take it on because I didn't have the time to sell the hardware yeah. but if something went wrong there I could still go back and sell some hardware and pull it back yeah. but that never happened um, me and my partner split in the end um, because he didn't really honour he had a 45% share uh, I had 45 he had 55 and I said I wanted to go 51, 49 to me when I hit my targets. We hit the target in the first year, and they didn't honour it. Right. So we split. I bought another partner in. He wasn't brilliant. Um, didn't do what he said he was going to do. We started moving into more and more technical. We moved into an office. Um, took our first employee on in sales. Then we took our first technician on. Um, and and that was it. Then I then I would read the market, the IT market. Yeah. Where is IT going? What what what's required out there? What do the clients need? What's the world asking for? And sometimes, what hasn't it got? And what's out there that might actually fit into that slot? And that was the risk taking. Talk us about your um, your your working days. I mean, and kind of the. You know, how, how how intense was, was the work when you were... Never stopped. Yeah. Never stopped working. Never stopped thinking. A, it was a passion for me, so that was great. So it, it, it wasn't a, a labour in any way, shape or form. So it was fun, yeah. It was fun. Picking yeah. up a book and learning something new, great. Yeah. Um, as we started to set staff on, that's when the pressure would come. Can we afford to pay the wages every month? I was going to say, I mean, it's something that I, I often think about myself is taking staff on, and that must bring an immense amount yeah. of because they've got people to feed, they've yeah. got they've got rent to pay your mortgage. That's the biggest thing. Once you start taking staff on, you've got you've got multiple responsibilities you've got responsibilities to the partners that yeah. you buy from that you partner up with so people like Cisco Dell um, Packard whoever that might be because they want you to do figures and you've got to do figures and to do those figures they'll get rebates if you don't get the rebates then you, your earnings are going to be down you've got responsibility to the client you've got to get it right every single time you've got to be ethical Um so that's another responsibility and then you've got the responsibility to the people that work with you um, and we treated them like family and to me they were family um, treat people as you expect to be treated and that's how I always dealt with people they've all got feelings they're not just a machine they're not a number um, I used to say to them a lot in the early days you might feel like you're underpaid, but trust me, you're not undervalued. One of the things that I've, I've discovered just by speaking to various people over the last couple of months is they're driven by very clear principles, very clear, in, in many ways, unequivocal principles that drive how they make decisions. Um, what principles drive you and how have they been formulated? Ethical. Yeah. do the right thing don't go for a sale just for the sake of going for a sale because you need to make the money because if you do and they don't need it and they realise they don't need it they're never going to come back um, always tell the truth always and that's it never lie you get caught out 
and especially the type of business that we were in. But actually, it's very easy to sell something that somebody doesn't actually require in IT because it's a box and it just does things and they're not quite sure what it does. You could sell any box that you wanted and say, if I plug that in, things are going to work a lot better. Um, it doesn't work that way. Um, for me, it was about proving to the client that what we're doing is the right thing. And that was really easy because I got very technically involved. I, I learned so much about networking, I ended up buying my own kit for doing network analysis and troubleshooting. And it was very, very, very expensive stuff. I mean, you're talking £40,000 for a box. Wow. Very expensive. But I taught myself how to use it. I taught the guys how to use it. But I was probably the one that knew, that knew the most. Yeah. And I could go out and use that to prove things to people. So instead of somebody saying, I've got a problem with my network, well, come in and have a look. And you go in and have a look. Well, you're looking at some boxes. Yeah. You're looking at the data that's going through. You're looking at how that particular machine's performing. But you don't see all of it. That's, that's the thing that most people get wrong. It's like, well, the problem's over here, so this is where I'm getting my problem, so that's where the problem is. It's not normal. It, it's, if the problem's there, it's normally created somewhere else, and I could plug in and go, yeah, I can see it. It's over there. And you get experience. Yeah. I got to a point where I didn't really need the box um, to do that for me. I could just go in and go, yeah, it's over here. We need, just need to do this, that and the other. And we can do it now if you want, or we can do it tonight, or whenever you want. Um, and it would fix, and the, and the clients would go, wow, it's never done that before, it's never performed like that before. Yeah, it was kind of an upside-down network, we used to get that a lot. I'm not going to go to the technicals, technic te technicalities of what an upside-down network is. Um, but you should see that a lot. You've now got staff, you've now got an office, you're now established, right? Um, to what I just, degree? I just need to keep check on the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we're how out long? Soon. How long? How, how long have you got? Um, well, I've got all day <laughs> until we until we race. What time? Are you, what time um, are you? Do you, do you know? Uh, Thirteen fifty. Thirty-two. Cool. Yeah. Are you get for the twenty minutes. Is that is that all right? Let's let's do ten, and we so can pick up after yeah, the race. Fine, sounds good. Perfectly set up. So you've now got this company, you've got you've got staff. Um, to what degree did you struggle with um, working in the business and now getting to a place where you've now got to work on the business in terms of at a so high level? So <clears throat> that's a really good question and I've actually got the answer for it. You've got to understand your weaknesses as well as your strengths. And what a lot of people try to do is work with the weaknesses to try and make them stronger, uh, themselves stronger in the weak areas. Well, if you're weak in that area, you're weak in that area. And I, I don't think any amount of training, teaching, learning is going to fix that. It'll help without a shadow of a doubt. And there are times when it has helped. But I realised that <clears throat> I had... I had the diplomacy of a brick with staff in a lot of cases. That wasn't going to work. I couldn't get them to do what I wanted them to do because I had a clear vision of what I wanted to deliver. And it was different from all the other resellers. And my clear, in the early days, that they're, they're all there now. So I'm not saying that I was a pioneer in anything. I just had a clear vision of this is how a network should be built. This is how a server should be built. And it should be built the same same way. And when anybody goes onto a network, especially the network, because it was my design, how we did that in the, in, the, in the early days, that anybody that would go on there would look at it and go, that's an SICL network. How do you know, config? That was the vision. That was... that was the vision. And I couldn't get them to live with it. No, I'm building the server the way I want to build it. No, industry standards. That's why we employ people that have passed exams. That's the big thing. Pass your exams, guys. Take them, if you, especially in IT, because it gives you a structure as how to do something. If you're a very clever person, I've met many that are very, very clever that have taught themselves, that's great. But there's no structure behind how they build it. So they'll go from one thing, to, they'll get there, and they'll get to the final solution, and it will work just as well as this solution. 
But when you go on and have to troubleshoot it, it's like, well, that's a bit strange, and that's a bit strange. Yeah, it's There's working, no structure, yeah. but it's not yeah. structured. Yeah. So how do you troubleshoot something that isn't structured? That's hard. So that's why I said we have to now take people on that have, that have taken the exams and passed them, and I want the top marks. Was that was that quite a big a big change for you? Yeah. I hated stuff like that. I hated policies and procedures. But we had to start building them in because I realised we can't just go in there and put a network in and just make it work. Yeah. It had to work my way. It had to work the way the manufacturers state. It yeah. had to do what I wanted it to do. If it fails, it has to be predictable. If yeah. it fails, we can predict it and we can predict the performance of the network. So if it fails there, the traffic will go a different way. It might be slower because it's going through a slower link. And as soon as the client phones you up and says the network's gone slow, it's pretty easy to troubleshoot. But I suspect that that's failed. So that for me was was the thing that, that I was having difficulty dealing with. And I thought, well, I can't do this. I need a managing director. It, it, it sounds like what you were trying to do was, was get people to aligned to your vision and, yeah. and see what you were seeing and create a cultural change I yeah. suppose um, how, how hard did you did you find that to, you know, getting people to very which is why I bought a managing director in yeah. and I bought bought the managing director in to control the staff to get him to because he was a, a he was a guy that could write policies and write procedures and understood them that that's what that was his background I can't it used to take me a month to write um, a network analysis report where well, he could do it in a week, but he didn't have my technical yeah. expertise, so he couldn't write it. But I, he used to say to me, you just just brain dump it, give it to me and I'll write it. So sometimes that would happen. And he, he could do it in in a day, actually. Take my written word and then write it down. Then I'd get it back and go, okay, we need to change that, 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 and that. Very easy. Are um, you scared about suddenly having to, I suppose, relinquish? No, some, I, knew, I knew his strengths and I yeah. knew my strengths. Yeah. So I used my strengths, and he used his strengths, and together it yeah, worked yeah, yeah. to start with. Yeah. Um, and I've always believed that if you know your weaknesses, if you've got somebody in the business that's stronger than you, then you you take. I don't want to say take advantage. That's the wrong thing to say because it feels like you're taking advantage of somebody. So not taking advantage of them in in a bad way you take advantage of their strength yeah. and you use that strength and then you build team a team up of different strengths and you know you've got it covered if you can do that you've got it all covered so if a client comes on to you and says I've got this issue you can send the team in because amongst them they will they will resolve the issue I suppose self-awareness is so key isn't it just being, being you've got to you've yeah. got to if you don't if, if you there's a lot of arrogant people out there and I don't, I, I'm hoping I'm not one of them but the one thing I have got is I'm not very good at that that person's really good at it and okay delegate the work in the right place to the right person and it'll get done and they can come back and explain what they've done to you and you go why did I think of that you know, because, that could, because they've got it they've got that switch in there that yeah. goes oh, I've got that yeah. brilliant absolutely fantastic I used to love it I used to love to see the technician grow and it's like they're ready that one's ready okay let's promote them you're now going into third line you're off your foot you've done your first you're doing your second third line do you want to do it yeah it's what I've always been working for fine need any help give us a shout here's your team yeah. there's the guy that's in charge you, do, you, you lot work together I remember a guy coming to work for his corporation, he said, I've never, ever, ever worked. And he'd been in IT for a long time. He said, I've never worked in a company where the information is so freely given by everybody. Because IT tends to be, people have their own secrets as to why they're successful in doing what they're doing. We didn't have that. We had no egos in the business. Transparency. Yes. Full transparency. And it was great. It was brilliant. Loved it. We had the best family. We had... Yeah, those guys if it hadn't been for them and that's, I'm talking about every single employee we've never had one bad one um, in the last six six years seven years um, I wouldn't be here today racing 
Van Bay for that. It's a really good place to take a take a little pause. Yeah. Oh, Ashley, I'm, I'm I'm so excited. Honestly, you have no <laughs> idea. Honestly, because there's I mean you know, um, yeah, I, I I can't wait for the for the part two. I'll let you uh, to uh, crack on and. Uh, you get the thing back. about it, Mo, is that you're asking the right questions, and it's well, easy. So. Well, it's easy to answer questions that are that are relevant. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of that was the th- that's the thing that normally stumps me. It's like, why are you asking that? Uh, I haven't got an answer to that. No, it's it's, I, it's it's very difficult when when that happens. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I have to think and think and make up an answer. We used to get interviewed here from racing. And, and some of the stupid question. What does it feel like to win? Oh shit! Worst <laughs> <laughs> I've ever felt. I was hoping to come last, but we were so quick. No, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, actually. I mean, obviously, I, I love cars, I love racing, but it's the it's the entrepreneurial mindset, going through shit, eating shit, the hero's journey, if you like, which I'm just in love with because I just, I just personally, it. it it's what I've been through and there's a lot of young people out there who are who um, who do feel lost who do feel abandoned by society for a variety of reasons um, there's people in our culture who yeah. feel like you know what they have to they have to get good grades and they have to go to university and they haven't got the grades and suddenly it's like oh my god you know my world is breaking apart and someone's kind of come in and say well, you know what grades are important but Focus on what you've got a passion for. Focus on what you've got interest in. And, and I used to say that. to people that there were people that had their kids that wanted to go to university and they wanted to be in IT. And I used to say, ah, you're going to waste your time at university. Yeah. Um, it, it's a complete waste of life, time, which you can't get back. If you want to get into IT, get into a reseller. Tell them what you want to do. That you want to be a, a networking. And I and I know all I know all the. the professions within there that pay the money and all you have to do is to take their exams and pass those exams and if you get to become a CCIE which is Cisco certified internet expert you are worth a minimum of £90,000 a year a minimum they're now probably some of them are earning 150 and if you specialise you don't have to go to university you don't even have to have an O level an A level I don't care about that I don't care about your O levels and A levels I'm, I'm not interested tell me what you've done from a, from an IT perspective, nothing in that case. But I'm really clever with it. I'm sorry. Go and I used to advise them. Go and take, get to this web page. Go to CCNA, learn CCNA or MCSA for Microsoft. Go and learn those. Then go and take the exams. Pass the exams. You've got a structure. Then I'll talk to you. I don't care about O levels. I don't care about A levels. I don't give a damn about university. It's, it, it's unimportant. You've got to be able to do this job, and you've got to be clever enough to be able to do what we do. And the reason I don't care is because I'm self-taught. I didn't go to university. I went to boarding school. Came out with one O level. Should have stayed for another year. In theory, that would have been a year wasted. And well, actually, yeah, it was an additional year wasted of drinking. But um, yeah get your head around what it is that you want to do and then go and bloody well grab it and get it it's no good saying I wish I could do what you do well you can hey look man you if, can. So, if someone was, was at one point homeless and, and, and has managed to, to get your head around it I mean. get your head around it and, and stop feeling sorry for yourself and stop thinking that the world owes you something it doesn't unless you go and grab it nobody's going to come to you and say here that or win the lottery that's the only other way of doing it. There is no other way. The, 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 there is a third way. Wait for your parents to die. Yeah. And hope they didn't leave the money to charity because you were lost. No, the, 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 there is a culture of entitlement. And I, I think part of it is social media, right? Because people expect instant gratification, right? You know, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah. I'm going to do a post, where's my 50 likes? <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's just this, because it, we're all used to this, well, young people are used to this kind of, you know, being gratified like that. You know, it's yeah, but, but there's a lot of people out there that have got it and they'll go for it. And there's a lot of people out there that have got it and won't go for it. Well, I'm sorry, I can't feel sorry for you. I'm not going to give you a handout and I'm not going to give you a job just because you believe you should have that job. And when I sack you because you haven't done the job right, why are you taking me to industrial tribunal? 
you're the one that didn't deliver the figures or you're the one that went and put those networks in and they're all screwed up and I have to go back now and fix them. And I had one guy, we sacked him because he put a network in so badly, it took us four years to fix it. Four years? Four years to fix it. Because, because it was live. We couldn't go back in there and fix oh, it. Oh, Jesus Christ. We had to wait to renew the network. Before you could. And it was like, oh, God, if that fails, I know what it is that's going to fail. And if I go in and make the changes, the network will go down. The 24-7, 365, we cannot take that network now. It's like, and I just said, I'm sorry, but you're out. And he wasn't happy, but what else can I do? And he thought that he was being badly treated. Well, here's the policies, and here's the procedures for putting a network in. Here is how you, how you configure each and every switch. You do that, then this won't happen. And it didn't. You've got to earn it. Absolutely. Absolutely got to earn it. Which, I get a bit passionate about. I no, but work. that's the bit I, I do. I do want to get into that in terms of advice for young people because I think um, I think that's the thing I really want to emphasise on is, is is that I want any young person to listen to you and, and and take that on board. You know, there's a lot of very clever people out there that, that either won't apply themselves or that do. You can see the difference, and there's a lot of people out there that are unable to apply themselves because, like me, they might not have that vision. They might not have found what it is that they need. My advice to them is. Don't worry, it'll come along. It will happen, and it'll, it'll do that. But be ready for it. When it happens, grab it with grab both it. hands yeah. and throw yourself at it 100%. Oh, God, there's some... And don't let yeah. it go. Don't let it go. And keep going. And when people are t- saying to you, I think that's the wrong thing to do. My dad said to me when I, when I was doing the business and I started to make changes with the business, we're going to do this now, we're going to do that now. He said, I thought at the time it was the wrong thing to do, but I didn't want to say anything because I thought... This has got this this far, and they said it always surprised me when it when it worked as well as it worked. That's because I'd done my homework, a lot of homework, and looking at new products that people had not sold before and even looked at. It's like actually, I think, and and I could see where it would fit within the infrastructure. It fits here. I've, I've talked to you about the circle. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Of um, it was a circle products. Right, okay. or a, and a circle of services that we did and we had to complete it right, and once you've got right, that right. you can do everything if the circle broke somewhere or you, was about to break you know. go and find that product that fits in there and then you covered we the whole re- thing I, I was yeah. very good at doing that it's like ah, it's just there if I grab that and put that there but then you have this circle and then on the edge of that you've got product A product B product C and you go well for that one I can actually add something if I don't, if I take it away, it doesn't break the circle. But actually, it adds to what we're actually doing and what, what, what we're delivering. And that would work. And then one day, you suddenly find that the circle was broken for everybody else, and this product had become so mainstream, it became part of the circle. But well, we had it already. Well, hang on, the circle's broken it. No, it hasn't. Let's just knock that down there. Brilliant. Suddenly, you're the only people that can, can, that can do yeah. that particular thing. At the end of the recession, that's exactly what we did. I spent all our cash, all our profit, on training. Can't wait to hear it. Can't wait to hear right. it. Ash, cheers, man.